Hello? Are you there? Oh, good. <laughs> I am glad you're here because we are going to Fiesta today and have a little chat about alcohol and how it affects things like body fat, digestion, nutrition, and activities or the time you spend in the gym. I think a lot of people wonder about this kind of thing a lot, whether it's a beer belly that's crept up on you or a nightly wine habit that maybe happened because of stress or if you're like me at certain times, I've certainly wondered about it a lot when I've really had moments in life when I was focused on getting as lean as possible, but then I'd be faced with to drink or not to drink in social situations. How much harm does it really do? Is it really bad? What about these headlines that you, that you see that say a glass of red wine is good for you? Well, I'm breaking it all down and more today. In case you're new to the podcast, I'm Kelly Wilson, owner of fitfizstudio.com, and I am a certified trainer, nutrition coach, behavior change specialist, autoimmune disease fighter, and I've worked in the health and fitness industry for over 20 years. FitFiz is serving up ways to help you avoid gimmicks, find strength, optimize nutrition, create boundaries, prioritize rest, and to remind you to celebrate victory all along the way. The information shared is for educational and informational purposes only. None of the contents should be interpreted as an intent to diagnose, treat, cure, heal, or prescribe. And if you'd like to show your support for the show and get exclusive goodies in return, you can do that at patreon.com slash Kelly Wilson. Since today's show is about alcohol, I want to start off by saying that I have a lot of compassion for people who struggle with alcoholism or addictions. I know some people who struggle with it, and I know it's not to be taken lightly. That being said, if you feel that this topic is triggering for any issues you might have, my heart goes out to you, and it's obviously completely up to you if you continue listening or not. And while I do try to understand it, I'm certainly not an expert in alcoholism or addictions, so this episode will not be covering alcohol from that standpoint at all. So, backing away from full-on alcoholism, there is a gray area that I think many adults encounter at one point or another where there was a concern for a friend or loved one who might have questionably been heading down a path of alcoholism. Hopefully, most of you listening are not in a dangerous relationship with alcohol, and I certainly think there is nothing wrong with enjoying wine, beer, or cocktails when it's done responsibly. It kind of seems like recreational drinking ramps up in the summertime, so that's why I thought this would be a good time to talk about this. Recently, I heard someone say something to the effect of, it's never okay to ask someone why they're not drinking. And I fully agree with this. It can be very personal reasons, or it can simply be that they just don't want to drink. Maybe they're on prescription medication that they'd rather not have to explain to you, or maybe they're pregnant and they're not ready to openly talk about it. Maybe they do have a drinking problem and maybe they've been able to keep it under control, but that doesn't mean you need to be the reason for their downfall by asking why they're not drinking. Maybe they have a ton of food sensitivities like me. 
This is a valid reason not to drink, but this is an instance where I have had many people not take it seriously. And it is so frustrating when people don't gracefully accept no for an answer the first time a drink is declined. There are many reasons that I haven't had anything to drink while I sort through my autoimmune issues. And there are ingredients that I know affect me and millions of other people like sugar, gluten, any grains and nightshades, which includes potatoes, which is what vodka is made out of, plus things like sulfites and other chemicals that can cause migraines for issues with lots of people. Another reason people might decline drinking is maybe their family has a history of alcoholism and they simply want to play it safe. Genetics can play a large role in alcoholism, and people might not be comfortable with discussing that. And last but not least, maybe they are working hard to decrease body fat, decrease sugar intake, count macros, or anything along those lines. And again, they really shouldn't have to explain it, but I know I have felt uncomfortably forced to have to explain it, especially in work settings where disclosing certain personal things can and will be used against people when people don't know how to respect boundaries by accepting a polite no thank you. It can be frustrating because once you start explaining it, it typically leads to a barrage of more questions that feel like they're coming from a judgmental place because a simple no wasn't respected. And that's not good for anyone's mental health. And all of that is just to make the point that in any social setting, please don't be that person who can't respect boundaries. If someone says no thank you to an alcoholic beverage, accept it and move on because that's what kind people do. Okay? (laughs) So now that that's out of the way, I want to talk about a term that you might not have heard of. It's called drunkorexia. And this is something that refers to an unhealthy practice that's particularly common in young women where people will barter alcohol for food. For example, if this person knows they want to drink a lot at a party that night, they will forego lunch and maybe have a little nibble of dinner because in their head, they will be drinking a thousand calories worth of beer or cocktails, but they also have an irrational fear of gaining weight. So... They think that by not eating so many calories during regular mealtimes, they quote unquote, even things out. But this is an all around unhealthy and irrational type of obsessive behavior that is unfortunately considered normal for a lot of young women. And it's certainly not just young women. It's people of any age and men, too. Another reason people do this is so that they don't have to drink as much until they feel the effects of alcohol. Since there's, if there's not as much food in the stomach to absorb it, then you all know what happens. And if this is you for either of those reasons, or if it's someone you know, it's important to take this seriously, though, and not just laugh it off. Hopefully you listened to episode 12 on the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating. And that actually happens to be my most popular episode as of today, which I never would have guessed, but I'm happy that people are listening. But this drunkorexia most definitely falls into the category of a disordered eating habit. As I mentioned, that the less food you have in your digestive system, the faster you will feel uh, drunken or buzzed effect from the alcohol. 
and that's probably not new information to anyone, but I want to explain this a little bit farther. The alcohol we drink is ethanol, and it's absorbed through the entire GI tract. Some of the other variables that affect how quickly we feel a buzz in the body are weight, your alcohol tolerance, ethnicity, differences in DNA, and all of those things vary person to person. Now, after alcohol is absorbed through the GI tract, it then heads to the liver, where as much as 90% of the alcohol is metabolized. But the other 10% will then enter the bloodstream unaltered. Now, this next part I'm going to explain is why is it that we always hear that alcohol will make you fat, but it's really just a liquid. So how does that work? Well, since the body has no way to store alcohol, when the liver realizes that alcohol has now entered the premises, alcohol gets priority service all the time. The liver will use the calories from the alcohol before it gets to work on oxidizing any other macronutrients from the food that you've eaten. So the liver then creates an enzyme called liver alcohol dehydrogenase, which controls how fast that ethanol alcohol is converted. And it can only convert about 15 grams per hour, which is equal to about one regular beer, five ounces of wine, or one shot of hard liquor. Now, ethanol itself is not toxic, but it makes two toxic byproducts that are acetaldehyde and acetate. And it's these two toxic byproducts that are what create the feeling of a buzz or drunkenness or feeling sick or feeling a hangover. Some, some people are more sensitive to it than others. So your sensitivity to these metabolic byproducts, that depends on how much you feel an effect from the alcohol. Once these byproducts are further metabolized, then they're eventually excreted through urine or poop. And as all of this is taking place, Remember that the food that you ate that was currently in your digestive system at the time when you began drinking, it's still waiting its turn in line to be metabolized. And that is why drinking can lead to weight gain when it's done frequently. To put it simply, the body simply doesn't have time to metabolize your food since alcohol always gets a VIP seating. So your food might end up as stored body fat because it doesn't have anywhere else to go. So how do you decide what to drink if you're being health conscious? If you're trying to enjoy a drink or two, but you want to keep calories or sugar from adding up quickly, one general rule to keep in mind is that the lighter colored the drink, the less sugar and calories it tends to have. Of course, there are always exceptions, and I won't go into detail because you can easily find charts about this on Google and Pinterest if you care to know more. But that's one general rule that you can keep in mind the next time you're trying to decide if you should stick to healthier ways of eating or just not really care. And either way is fine. It just depends on what's right for you. So things like vodka, gin, and tequila are probably the least caloric and lowest in sugar. White wine is somewhere in the middle because even though it's light colored, it does have a lot of sugar. Then at the other end of things that for things that are high sugar and high calorie are things like margaritas, fruity colored cocktails, dark beer, and red wine. Now, what about this thing about red wine being good for you? It's written about quite 
often. There have been thousands of studies that have proven that red wine consumed in moderation can have a positive effect on the health of your heart. It can improve cognitive function. It can reduce oxidative stress. And it can even help to normalize blood sugar levels. And research has shown that the polyphenols, the resveratrol, and quercetin in red wine can slow down the progression of atherosclerosis which occurs when there's a buildup of fats and cholesterol and plaque inside the artery walls. But the downside, research has also shown that people who drink too much red wine were also at higher risk for heart issues. And there are also lots of other benefits that you can read up on on your own if you wish, but I just wanted to at least mention that it is true that some red wine can actually be good for you. Something else that I want to cover is for those of you who put a lot of time into building strength and muscle mass and how that relates to alcohol. And maybe even those of you who don't really care all that much, but you're sweating it out in the gym with a trainer anyway for the sake of your health and huge kudos to you if you are doing that. And aside from the fact that Drinking can indeed contribute to weight gain, unfortunately. It can definitely interrupt muscle growth because of the way that alcohol gets first priority over your food, including protein, which we all need for muscle growth. But on top of that, there is something called muscle protein synthesis, or MPS, which builds muscle tissue. And there's something called muscle protein breakdown, or MPB which tears down muscle tissue. Our bodies are constantly building and breaking down protein in a process known as protein turnover. So even if you're not concerned with putting on significant muscle mass, you should still care about this and listen to what I'm going to say next, even if you're just trying to be able to do an air squat well into your 80s. In normal muscle development, there has to be this balance between building and tearing down of the muscle tissue. And depending on which way the scale is tipped, either more in the direction of building, more in the direction of tearing down, depends on if you will end up seeing more muscle on your body or see it disappearing. And this is slightly off topic, but as I've mentioned before, that muscle wasting is unfortunately one symptom that happens with most autoimmune diseases. And that's because of this severe imbalance that favors muscle protein breakdown, regardless of how much a person is weight training. But alcohol is an instance where MPB or muscle protein breakdown is favored as well. So when you consume alcohol post-workout, when MPS, your muscle protein synthesis, which builds muscle, is is at its lowest post-workout, when the muscle tissue is in need of the most repair, the negative effects of the breakdown are multiplied. So that's something to remember. If you're wanting to socially drink, but you want to put on muscle or get stronger, try not to drink soon after your workout, if at all, because you'll have the cards automatically stacked against you and any progress that you want to make. Also, Drinking can make it hard for a person to get high quality sleep. And sleep is when our bodies put the glymphatic system to work. You'll hear about that in the sleep episode to repair cellular damage and also to help repair muscle damage, which is how our muscles grow over time. And yet another reason, which is pretty basic, I'm sure you'll all understand that drinking can dehydrate you. 
Anytime you're dehydrated, you're being set up for a chain of suboptimal events like headaches, stiffness in the joints, and that in itself, dehydration in itself, slows down muscle building and cellular repair as well. Now, with all of these things in mind, don't let it scare you away from having a responsible drink or two for fun. And hopefully with this information, you will feel more confident to make the best choices for yourself and your goals the next time you're trying to decide if you should celebrate victory with a drink or not. So in closing, I want to say special thanks to Elise V, Wendy C, and Pamela P for supporting my vision for FitFizz on patreon.com slash Kelly Wilson. It really means the world to me. As most of you know, I've really been struggling financially to be able to take the next steps for my vision with FitFizz and having guests on the show and launching my online courses for all of you to take advantage of. So If you find my podcast valuable, and if you are able to donate just even a dollar a month or more, it really helps me out more than you know, and you get goodies in return, depending on how much you decide to donate. And the next best thing you can do to support the show and to show your gratitude is to leave me a written review on iTunes so that I have more street cred when people find the show. And other than that, it's also totally free to share this with a friend. The more people I can reach, the sooner I can bring you lots more valuable things that I have in the works. Thank you so, so much for listening today. And until next time, breathe, stay strong, and always celebrate victory. Celebrate victory.